Welcome to Daystar Rising. I'm Keith Murray. And I'm Julie Murray. Join us for conversations about destiny, discernment, and the new spiritual paradigm. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Daystar Rising. Again, I'm Keith Murray, and with me is my wife, Julie, and we want to welcome you all to our home. Hello. Sorry. That's okay. The dogs have settled down and look like they're taking their nap now. Knock on plywood. Yeah, hopefully that'll stay that way. Appreciate you guys listening and joining us today. And usually we don't, and and today's no exception, in terms of it's not scripted. And sometimes when we click record, we haven't even discussed a topic or anything. We did kind of determine just two minutes ago, I guess, what the topic would be today. So that's... A little bit more preparation. Yeah, that's a little more orderly than what we normally do. And not that we couldn't, the uh, podcast that I used to do was much more mm-hmm. much more scripted, and I had a particular topic already planned out, and I would go through and, and all of the, the, the order, points, the yeah. data, the information that I was going to present, or that I intended on trying to present at, at a particular time, in a particular episode, in a particular order and all that. Well, this is different because we want it to be like that you're here and you're part of this, and this is just a conversation. Mm -hmm. And conversation's going to flow in different ways, and sometimes we just, we will chase some rabbit trails, even if it's not necessarily all on the same topic, just as conversations do. And so we want it to be sort of organic and impromptu and well, like it is without the record button being mm-hmm. hit, because this is what our conversations are without recording. And we just discuss all kinds of things like current events and philosophical concepts. I don't think about them in terms of being philosophic. I had to have people tell me that's very philosophical. I've had several people say that in response to things I say, and it always surprises me like, oh, is that philosophy? Like, I just didn't know how to recognize it. But I should have. Loving wisdom. Loving wisdom, loving truth. Not always having the answer and knowing that I don't always have the answer. And sometimes talking, having these deep conversations are, for me, a must because they're a means to explore what could be true, how I may be feeling, which isn't proof that it's accurate, but it's an exploration of, okay, this is what I currently think and feel. Let's talk about why. Can we go to an objective standard and say, I need to align myself more to an objective standard, but then in being able to talk about the nuance and explore the nuance of something and the subtleties of something, not to pick it apart in a way as to hair split, not not for that reason. Like I think people that deal and go into the nuance are often accused of hair splitting, like it's black or white, and you're trying to make it complicated. Well, that's only true if it's true. With our conversations, we're actually trying to go into the many layers of the human experience, just like is in the scriptures over and over in different places where, like, I don't remember the book it was in. Um, You probably laugh at me because I don't remember, but there's a point where God is telling Aaron and Moses how to do a certain sacrifice, and then Aaron's two sons die by the Lord's hand because they offered up strange fire and Moses comes back in a little bit later and Aaron hasn't done something the way God prescribed and Moses is mad and he's like, look, why didn't you do this the way God prescribed? And Aaron's answer was basically, do you think that my heart and my state of my soul would have been acceptable to God 
at this moment. Had I done this the way he said to do, I did it this way because of this reason. And you'd have to go back and read Leviticus chapter 10 and Leviticus chapter 16. Yeah, to get the full scope of it. But he actually didn't obey the letter of the law because he was allowing for his subjective truth and reality to weigh in and say, would this have been acceptable to God since the state of my heart was this? I'm keeping my mouth shut about the slaying of my two boys, but I'm also cognizant I don't want to make God mad, and so I would rather err on the side of this is how I'm feeling inside myself, and I don't understand, and I'm mad, and I'm grieving, and I'm sad, but my point in saying all that is he weighed in the subjective nuance, the subjective reality, into that thing that God had said to do. And so the Bible's full of stuff like that, where you just have people living human lives, trying to cope, and trying to find a place to meet God in that space where they're living in the challenges and in the ignorance of them not understanding the mind and heart of God. And, you know, even God says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. And if he's willing to reason with us over our sins, then how much more over things where we're just trying to understand the full scope of something with wisdom or with truth. Mm -hmm. So we explore, we have a lot of these types of conversations where we just explore. Well, often, as you said, you made reference to philosophy. A lot of folks would say, well, this isn't the Bible or this isn't the mm -hmm. gospel. They're off into philosophies of men and this sort of thing. And, you know, there could be a legitimate argument sometimes for that in certain cases, but a lot of times there are these, often people paint with these broad brushes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you think about theology, the study of, in the strict sense, the study of God or the study of, how would we say, the uh, celestial, the spiritual realms, often when we use theology today, it's more of a category or a branch of study that deals with studying religious texts. Mm -hmm. Usually, mm -hmm. almost it's synonymous with Bible study mm -hmm. is theology. Mm -hmm. And it is. And so, if we were exploring something like, what comprises man? What all parts of man exist? Okay, well, we've got the physical body, and we've got the soul, and the Bible also makes reference to the spirit, spirit. and then there's other things that it talks about. When we go back we take these words back to the, the Hebrew, particularly, or even the Greek, but when we take them back to the Hebrew, we've got a word for spirit, ruach. We've got a word for that's often translated as soul, nefesh. nefesh. But then we have words like neshama, neshama yeah. and, and other things. And so most people would say, well, that's a theological discussion or endeavor. Hmm. But it's also a philosophical one because sure. philosophy also has historically spent lots of time analyzing what is the soul, what is what are these parts of man, or these things like that. Well, absolutely. I mean, when you think about Solomon, he was a great philosopher. Great philosopher, one of the greatest philosophers to have ever lived. And when you go into Ecclesiastes and all of these things that he's written, he's exploring you know, you have Proverbs and you have these little one or two liners and, and they're very good. But then in some of his other writings, in the anguish or the glory of his own heart, I mean, not in a bad way, he's going in and he's expounding out of the deep richness 
of the complexities of man's soul and in his time on earth and you know trying to make sense i thought i would gain wisdom and go off and study this and i thought i would gain wisdom and go, and he did gain wisdom you know people would say well he was wrong because then he just decided at the very end that it just obey god and that's the sum total it is the sum total but you also have to come into a place of inner integrity with the truth of your experience trying to align that with the objective standard of whatever you believe the objective standard is of the truth of the scriptures of the truth of how of god how he sees it you know and sometimes there's a great gap <laughs> yeah i mean because you read these promises of god or these things <clears throat> in the scriptures and then you know well god obviously heals people he raises people from the dead he does all of these great wonders sometimes he saves a whole army by miraculous means and then other times they all die you know, people die. To walk with God and to seek wisdom and to seek truth and to walk, seek to walk a spiritual life, you can't hardly take two or three steps before you don't come face to face to terms. You have to come to terms with how life doesn't measure up to the scriptures or to how you think it should be. To me, walking the spiritual path in maturity is bridging that gap. And I mean, People say, well, how do you bridge the gap to an unknowable God, to a standard you quite, can't quite understand? Well, that's that's the challenge. You know, you have to make peace with where you are, with what God has said and what you've chosen to believe is true that's out greater than you and outside of you. You have to have a vision and you have to draw that down into your own life somehow. But this is what makes the spiritual path so challenging. And it's the work of a lifetime. It's not finding a belief system. Oh, that sounds good to me, like casserole. I'll have the casserole or the chicken. I have... Church of Christ or Baptist or Buddhism or whatever. No, it's whatever religion people end up picking based on their own convictions. They still have to work it out in their own lives. They're human, first and foremost. Yeah, I sometimes talk about my art classes and things that I learn from my students. Because I do. I, over the years, I've taught art for so long that you begin to be able to... There becomes a certain amount of predictability of what is likely what the student is likely to do. Mm -hmm. The same kinds of mistakes mm -hmm. that are made often and you begin to get greater understanding. That's into, interesting. Oh yeah, it happens a lot. One of the things that I try to teach in that, and I try to teach in the Bible study too, what we're talking about currently, is the difference between subjectivity and objectivity. Mm -hmm. And hopefully the ultimate synthesis, confluence, marriage, of those dualities mm -hmm. and so like in a drawing class let's say a still life drawing class that I teach I set up some sort of still life display like a vase with some books and some fruit that kind of thing and people are scattered around the room in different positions and the objective is is to try to draw that let me use another word to try to represent what they're seeing what I've set up as honestly and accurately as they can to where the gap between their representation and what is up there, even though the dimensions are different because the display is three dimensions and we're having to take it down to a lesser dimension of two dimensions. Very symbolic. Very much. And probably there are certain people listening now, they're like, oh, okay. They're probably getting my drift of the illusions that I'm making there. Allusions. Huh? 
No, right. I'm just saying allusion yes. instead of illusion. Yeah, not, allusion. Not, did I say illusion? No, you didn't. But oh. I mean, just in case it wasn't, people didn't hear it properly. Not the word illusion, but the word allusion, not allegory. Right. So the objective is to try to develop our eyes and our hand as much as we can to where we can see the objective truth there within this world, within this framework. And so there's an objective truth that I've set up there. Let's just hold that as axiomatic for a minute. Which means that, what, in case people don't know what that means? That self-evident. Let's hold, yeah, as a self-evident okay. truth that that reality of that display is, is, true. is objective mm-hmm. up there. Okay, and then we're all, we've got our easel set up and we're circled around that still life display. And our objective, our goal, our duty, let's say, is to try to see the objective truth that is up there. And then from our own place, from our own perspective or where we happen to be standing or sitting, that we're trying to see it as it is mm-hmm. and represent it. Okay, here's what I find to be, you can just about know that it's gonna happen. It's much easier said than done. I tell the students that, okay, what I want you to do, what, what already all of you are doing, is you're looking at your paper about 95% of the time or greater. You're spending 10, 15 minutes and you're just looking at your paper. And then once in a while you glance up at the display Mm -hmm. of the objective standard. I need you to reverse that. I need you to look at the objective and very little looking at your paper, at what you're representing or what you're trying to represent. Because the point is the objective standard. That should get the bulk of the attention. Yes, and what I try to emphasize is that every time you shift your eyes from looking at the objective standard here to your subjective representation, Mm -hmm. your subjective interpretation, your personal theology or philosophy, if you will, Mm -hmm. of what is up there. Sure. Every time you do that, Unless you have built your muscles of visual memory, and this is a muscle that can be built, but unless you've built those muscle memories really good, every time that you shift your eyes to your paper and you start to draw, you are making decisions based on pure assumption. Yeah. And, they and would preference. Be, and it, it's going to be wrong. Yeah. It's just a matter of how much in error you are. Mm-hmm. Well, in preference, I mean, people say, well, my assumption is different from preference. And maybe it is, but that would be that would be a situation where if a person could really hear what you're saying, really hear, it would be a very quick crash course in understanding the difference between objective reality and subjective reality. A very good crash course. Because, you know, and the whole argument aside of, well, I don't want to paint realistically, I want to paint abstract, and when I paint, I often paint abstract. That's a whole different argument. But if you're looking at this setup of, of an art class setup, the way you teach it and the way you paint, as being a pattern of how to see the difference between objective reality and subjective reality, it's very good. Because, like you said, if your duty, if we can all agree that this is these are the conditions and these this is the goal, then you need to keep your eyes, like you're saying, more on that on that objective setup, like the vase and the apple that you have set up at the front of the class as the thing everyone is drawing, which is like God in this little example. Or we could even say the Bible. Sure. Or anything. Or any truth that we're, we're trying to learn about. Any truth is like your setup, like we're, your vase and your apple. Well, we hope for those of you who are listening who hold the Bible to be 
-hmm. the objective standard and the final authority that defines truth and reality, then every time that you go off and you begin to represent mm -hmm. a belief, a yep. thought yep. on your own, you're looking at your paper and you're drawing the way sure. you think it is More and than, you're, you're yep. not basing your representation, your subjective experience off of the objective. And so it's going to get further and further away from that thing. Well, and I mean, people don't realize, and I didn't either until I went through the eye of the needle and a black hole and went through the journey of Alice in Wonderland falling down the rabbit hole, until you go through this journey where everything or so much of what you've believed to be true and stable about God and the world and the universe and who you were in relation to that falls away. Like you just have this experience. It's a transcendent alchemical experience, and it's not always you don't always seek it. I mean, something happens to you and there's a collision between your suddenly you, how you perceive your reality to be and what you've always believed. It's a dismantlement. And just realizing that there's a difference between what you believe to be true about the Bible and about God or anything, but especially about the Bible, if you grow up like I did in Christianity, Realizing that there is a gap and a difference between what you believe about them and what they actually are saying. And how I can illustrate this, you can take a scripture, you can take a room full of theologians, or just take, bring in 50 people from different churches represented all or, or through your town. Bring them into the school auditorium and have a guy stand up and read a passage of scripture, even a fairly short passage of scripture, and then give them pieces of paper and say, what does this scripture mean? What is the interpretation of this scripture? How do we walk this out? Give me your take on exactly what this is referring to and what we're supposed to do. You're going to get the opposite of your illustration of an art class. They are going, as most people do, they're going to go off writing an essay or whatever about their belief of what that scripture means. And then when you take them all up at the end and you read them all, you're going to have likely 30, 40 different representations and viewpoints and sometimes some people are more gifted in the areas of compassion than maybe judgment and vice versa. Some people are more discerning. They have a cooler head and they would legislate or like a judge would. They would just dispassionately render a verdict. And so I'm not talking about the differences in people that cause them to see with more compassion or more judgment. I'm talking about what a particular scripture is actually referring to. Can we even agree? And we fight to the death over these things. We're willing to go to wars and fight each other down for our version of what a scripture is saying or our version of God. And we can't all be right. This is the critical thinking that I think is missing in so much of fundamental religion. Not that all fundamentalism is bad. If you can... If religion, you, politics, Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. Education. Exactly. Because you can have a devotion, a religious-like devotion to anything, not just religion. But making these people realize, when we read this scripture, here's where you fall out on it. When we read this scripture, here's where you fall out on it. And so you can't all be especially if you're mutually exclusive in your positions, you can't all be representing the truth here. So the way you are interpreting this, it's like in your art class. If I see a vase or an apple and I just go draw, going off drawing on a stylized apple or a cartoon apple or what I think an apple should look like or does look like, and it doesn't look like the actual apple, I've put my own spin for my own reasons 
And maybe those reasons are conscious. Largely, they're usually unconscious. But the point is, my apple doesn't look like the apple up there. And to have the awareness and consciousness that all of a sudden, I've been running around here teaching or preaching to people or advancing my religion or jihading my own whatever opinion on people when maybe that's not exactly what the scripture was intending, but it's what mama and daddy taught me or it, grandma or aunt, whatever. It's what the church has taught me. I've bought into it and now I'm jihading other people with it and just realizing that there is likely a difference between what you believe and the position of the scriptures or the position of God or the position of anything. I mean, like you said, politics, people will go off and say, this is what this is. Is it really? Or have you just seized onto a belief of something because it serves your own agenda? Usually, regardless of what subject matter we're discussing, whether it's religion or politics or anything, really, the person has a viewpoint, an opinion, a belief system that they haven't really explored and they haven't really gone in and dismantled, mm -hmm. like you said, and honestly and objectively tried to see and tried to understand these things. It is more or less they've adopted an opinion mm -hmm. uh, and think in the power of their belief, in their the power of their emotion, they are right because they feel they're right or believe they're right and it's true because I said it is true. And we've taught or, ourselves this in this denomination. Or that's what it means to me. Yeah, for a hundred years or whatever. Yeah, which are none when, of them are good reasons. When we say things like, well, that's what it means to me or even in a drawing class, well, that's the way it looks to me. Well, that's... That's the difference between subjectivity and objectivity, and these things can, you know, it's easy to get off in the weeds with this because they cross over. It's not real simple because, you know, I mentioned the, the Bible, that we could look at the Bible and on one level and say this is an objective thing, but it's not just objective. It is mm -hmm. also subjective. Sure it is, or and we can't work say, it out. Oh, you're saying the Word of God, the Scriptures are subjective, yes, and when we get past our own cognitive dissonance, a lot of people that would jump on that statement of me saying the scriptures are, are also subjective, who would take offense at that, also have claimed the same thing. Because if some atheist says, well, okay, how do you explain the discrepancies in the Bible, in the Gospels? A lot of those people would say, well, it's not really discrepancies. Each of the four Gospels is written from a particular perspective. Oh, so what we're going to get into there is that there is a subjective aspect because the human beings are subjective. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are writing about objective truth, but from their subjective perspectives and experience. And so it is both subjective and objective. Well, it has to be both. And I mean, you can't help but see anything you're looking at except through your own eyes. It's just that if you're going to practice true spirituality, you can't any longer allow yourself to default to your subjective reality first. You have to first say, what is the objective standard or what to get close as you can, to get as close as you can. I mean, and that's going to be different, like using your analogy again of the art room, of the classroom. Some guy may have 20-20 vision. Somebody else may be super nearsighted and they don't have their glasses. Some person may be blind in one eye. 
colorblind? Yes, and he may sit on one side of the room versus another side of the room. You know, that's the thing. In a half-moon shape, around this object in the middle, the guy on the extreme left and the guy or gal on the extreme right, their perspectives are going to be different, but they're still looking at the same objective yeah. standard. So it's not that you're wanting cloned carbon copies of this drawing or this painting. It's that from this perspective, you want it to be accurate from their perspective. And trying to explain this to people can be a little bit tough. It, it just feels like a lot of complexity, but basically, basically, you do have to weigh in on how something feels to you and what you think about it, but you can't start out there thinking that the way you think and feel is automatically right because you think and feel it. But that's the way people typically yes. do it. Right. With the picturing the art class in which the students are in this half moon position scattered around from left to right, let's say, that on one end, because the light is stationary, mm -hmm. I've got one light source directed at this display of the vase and the apples and the books or whatever. And so the person on the far left in this particular classroom that I'm in, there's a lot more light on the objects from where they're sitting. On the opposite part of the room, the guy that's on the other extreme, most of what he's seeing is shadow. Mm -hmm. He's not seeing nearly as much light. Mm -hmm. Not only that, in, in many cases, maybe the guy on the far left of the room of this half circle is not seeing an apple on the other side because yeah. it's obstructed it's by one mm -hmm. of these other objects from his perspective. Mm -hmm. And so he goes around and he looks at the guy on the far right and he's like, he looks at his drawing and his representation is like, you drew an apple over there and there's not even an apple there. Well, there's not one visible from his perspective, but you cannot assume that just because you don't see the right. apple from your perspective that it doesn't exist exactly. and that this guy isn't telling it truthfully from his vantage point. Mm -hmm. You can't just take your drawing that even if your drawing say that you are on one extreme end closest to the light, like you said, even if your drawing from that perspective is absolutely accurate according to what it looks like, you, he can't then take his drawing off of his easel, walk around to the room to the other side, and say that the other guy's drawing is wrong. But yet that's what we do in theology and in spiritual things. It's like, no, from this perspective, you are correct. From his perspective, he is correct. And people say God doesn't grade on a sliding scale, BS. He's just, and because he's just, he is not gonna require that somebody who doesn't have the perspective of the capability or whatever as someone else produce the same work as someone else who has greater capability or a better perspective because he's just. Not only that, let's add another component to this. And the goal in these podcasts is not just to create a bunch of complexity mm -mm. or mm -mm. anything like that, but to give you things to chew on and to think about and ponder that you might not have before you paint your face blue and run down the hill and insist that you're right about anything, let's just pause a minute and consider. Well, it is going to make a difference not only the perspective that you're at in terms of what you might be able to see, what might be visible and what might be invisible, and the amount of how, how sunny your scene appears mm -hmm. or how much light it is as opposed to uh, the guy on the other end that it's a dark and moody mm -hmm. scene. Mm -hmm. But that's the way it exists from his perspective. Right. Just like right now, 
the sun is shining here. Right. But that is not the truth on the opposite side of the world. At this time. But there is an objective truth Mm -hmm. if we back up, you know, thousands of miles and look at this scene. Mm -hmm. But as Mm -hmm. we're experiencing it subjectively, there's going to be a big difference. And so... so, Oh, man. Go ahead. I'm I'm just going to add another component to it. How close you are to this scene is going to make a difference, too, because if one person is eight feet away, let's say, from the still life display in the class, and another person, theoretically, is 20 feet away. Well, the person that's sitting 20 feet away is not going to see the detail Mm -mm. that the person that is eight feet away is going to see. And so they could each represent it accurately from their vantage point and their perspective of how close they are is going to affect, if they put a bunch of details there that aren't really able to be seen from this way, they have sort of... Added to the word. Yeah, they have. And uh, what's the word? Not exaggeration. Embellish okay. uh, is the word I was looking for. When somebody begins to embellish stories and or, or embellish the representation in a drawing or painting, same kind of thing. And see, what's interesting about that, kind of a little side note to that, is that the more you learn about, say the scripture and the more you learn about Hebrew the more you learn about the levels the longer you study and stay into that years and years and years and pursue it there are going to be just like with Einstein there are going to be these things these patterns that you've seen in the text and you become acquainted with the patterns of how things are what they're related to and how they you know grammatical rules and and just different other things that you might even be able to add an embellishment or add a projection based on the pattern you've seen in the Hebrew and probably be right because it's a calculated assumption or that's too strong a word. It's a calculated projection of saying this is likely to be true based on this pattern, this pattern, and this pattern that I've seen. And so if the pattern holds, this is likely to be true, but I'm not going to run out there and build a concrete slab on it just like I'm not going to add it to my drawing because I can't absolutely know that it's there. But there is a difference in someone's projection. I guess I, maybe it was Star Trek 4 or 5 where they go back in time and Spock has lost his memory. And there's just this dialogue where Jim and Spock are talking and Spock is confused by something Jim says. The captain says, and the doctor says, basically what he's saying, Spock, is that he's more comfortable with your guesses than other people's facts because of the way Spock handles information. He's practiced it, he's logical, he's practiced critical thinking, he's rational. So his projections aren't just yucking it up to make a story better. So there's a distinction even here. Einstein had a lot of theories about things that he couldn't prove yet. But he had theories based on the numbers and the mathematics and how things acted in nature, and he had some intuition there. So not all projection is equal. Some people's projection, they're just doing it because they want it to be a certain way. That is an entirely different motive. And from the place of not having information, if you haven't studied and you don't know your patterns and and you just want something to be a certain way, that's very different than someone standing over here and making maybe a potential projection on something and they've spent 20 years deep into the Hebrew learning the pattern of the Hebrew. That's mm-hmm. very different. But what I was going to say real quick about the light and dark, I constantly talk to people about being in their integrity. 
And everybody has an, a definition and they think they know maybe what I'm talking about. But when I say it, I mean being in the truth inside yourself and speaking the truth. When I talk about your truth, I don't mean an invented truth. I mean exactly what we're talking about from your perspective, looking at this thing in the best way that you know how. Maybe you forgot your glasses. Maybe you got them on. You're doing the best that you can at any given moment. And this is your perspective and this is your truth reaching for the objective goal. People right now on the other side of the world, if you ask them, is the sun shining in the universe? They would say, well, yes. Is the sun shining where you are? Are you seeing the sunshine? Might be a better question. Well, I think typically... And they would say no to be in their integrity. They would say no, even though the, re the objective reality is that the sun is always shining. Well, I think the typical question would be, Somebody might, if they've been in a building at work all day, and they might say, is the sun shining? The person would give them an affirmative yes or no. In a windowless room, yeah. But that's really not a, not that that really matters that much, but it's not really an accurate question. Right. The, the accurate question would be, like you said, is the sun shining here? Because or the sun is shining. Mm -hmm. Can but, you see the sunshine? But we're so locked into our subjective that we assume what's happening here is the totality of reality. Mm -hmm. So is the sun shining? We're so egocentric, geocentric, chronocentric, all of these ways of looking at things. And it, unless you begin to build your muscles to move beyond those things and denominational centric, whatever, mm -hmm. need to come up with a word for that. And there probably already is one, but... Most people are just automatically, they're very Baptist-centric or Church of Christ-centric or whatever. Dogmatic is a word. And they haven't really, well, a quick example. I won't talk about what the subject matter is, but there was a guy a few years ago that emailed me and he said, Hey, Keith, he said, can you send me some scriptures that <laughs> are going uh, on a particular topic? And so I sent these a whole bunch of scriptures back to him and then promptly... <laughs> He responded to me and he said, no, Keith, he said, I'm looking for scriptures that prove the opposite of what you sent. <laughs> Not the scriptures that you sent yes. that prove what no, I don't want to believe. No, I don't want, want those scriptures. I want scriptures that prove the opposite of what you sent. And and he was so he was so invested and so coming at things from a subjective viewpoint, he didn't even... He wasn't conscious, <laughs> couldn't have been, conscious of how ridiculous that is. Well, and how ridiculous and dangerous. It's like, dude, the whole point of the human experience is to reconcile, is to continue walking with God and to reconcile all the seeming um, inconsistencies of life. So if you've got scriptures that seem to prove one thing, and then you've got scriptures that seem to prove it's opposite. It's not that the scriptures are lying. It's that from your perspective, you're see yeah, your seeing is split. And you have to work very hard to come into an understanding of what this is talking about. And I think that this is actually at the heart of, of a lot of misinterpretation with things, depending on how they're looking, you know, yes. whether they're coming at subjectively or objectively. When there is a subject that's talked about, and it happens quite a bit in the scriptures, it seems like the Bible's saying this in one instance, well, like the law and grace, like the law and Jesus doing away with the law and all that. Well, if you just go off what you were taught, then the Jews will continue to reject Yeshua 
and the Christians will continue to reject the law if you just go off what you're taught because everybody knows that we're right and all these hundreds and a couple thousand years and, and more for the Jews. But if you really believe that this book is one book, one book, and it's telling a whole process of a story that culminates into something, then you're going to understand very quickly that just like with any process, if you took apart step one and three and say it's got ten parts and you said, well, everybody knows one and three is the totality. No, it's got ten. And so if you're looking ahead from step three or you're looking back from step ten, your perspective and viewpoint is going to be very different than if you're standing at the opposite end of the steps. And, of course, you're going to understand more at step 10 if you've continued to follow it out. You understand just like grade 12 in school incorporates all the grades that came before it. And there's a culmination in working 2 plus 2 and all of these simpler concepts that, you know, when you were young, most of us can't do calculus and algebra when we're first learning our multiplication tables. And maybe there's a genius, but for the most part, we don't know all that. But we continue to build on it and through the progression of the grades and the lessons we graduate understanding how to do certain things that wouldn't have even been possible for us at grade two or three. And so that's what the scripture is. And I mean, Paul even talks about, and Peter even talks about, a lot of things being in Paul's writing that's hard to understand. You know, you can't stay at this Peshat at the absolute who, what, where, when level of scripture and ever think that you're going to understand the deeper plan of God in salvation. It's not an easy thing. It's not a cut and dried thing. There is a redemption you know, there is a process of coming to God, but then you've got that he forgives you and you can't earn. But then the second part of that covenant, your part of that covenant, is you've got to work that out in all the messiness and all the questions and all the angst. You've got to work that out. And you can't work it out just saying, well, this just seems this way to me. Well, you can decide to believe anything you want to. People do it all the time. But if you want power, and I mean God-given power, power of the truth and power of wisdom and, and the power to actually have spiritual fruit on your tree. You can't be a lone wolf over here that never aligns itself back to an objective reality. There's always a standard of truth higher than what you think and feel. And I've talked to a lot of folks, and you probably have too, that it's hard to even get anywhere with them because they, they are so locked into this yeah. assumption that they're automatically approaching something from an open-minded, unbiased position. We have to realize that we all start from a fairly polarized, yep. biased position, that that's the default, the way we look at sure. the world. What we've picked up by osmosis through whatever culture we're raised in or whatever. And so, like you, your example of when we look at it, maybe the Christians versus the Jews in terms of theology or whatever, the Christian is going to come at it from a certain viewpoint as a default, and they're likely to stay there. Mm -hmm. They're likely to never move beyond mm -hmm. that position because... They're right. Everybody knows it. Same with the political position. Mm -hmm. If they were raised in a, a Democrat household or Republican household, mm -hmm. they're going to automatically kind of come at things from one viewpoint as the default. Mm -hmm. It could be right, could be wrong. Chances are it's a, a per matter of percentages and a, a spectrum to where it's not like... 100% right or wrong. Right. Yeah. And, and realizing that, for instance, you know, liberal and conservative, 
we could say, um, what is one of the basic tenets of conservatism? One of the, the basic tenets and emphasis regarding conservatism is going to be the power of the individual. It's going to be about individual rights, about rugged individualism, raising yourself up by your bootstraps, personal responsibility, yeah. these kinds of things. The liberal position often is going to be the opposite of that. It's going to be about the collective. It's going to be about the community. And you're going to hear those kinds of words. The Bible, it, it deals with both. Because yep. the truth deals with community and it deals yes. with individual. That is the truth. And, for instance, even uh, Daniel and Solomon talks about it, that once you've really screwed things up and you're in the diaspora and you don't know up from down, left from right, <laughs> mm -hmm. things have been so much wisdom and truth, understanding of truth and knowledge has been lost. If you will face toward this place and you will set your intention and you will begin to repent. And humble yourself. Yeah, humble yourself and ask forgiveness for your sins and the sins of your fathers. The collective of the whole nation. Right. You don't, it's not just, see, the Christians, typically it's going to be a very much individual thing of, it's going to focus on individual salvation, individual redemption, mm -hmm. individual forgiveness. In Judaism, often it is more of a collective, mm -hmm. our people, the redemption of our people, mm -hmm. the salvation of our people. Both of Both those are things right. are, are true. Yeah. But... If you don't practice stretching yourself and being willing to try to look at it from another perspective, from another angle, and I'm not saying that, obviously, there are, in, in case somebody tries to twist my words or mischaracterize what I'm saying here, I'm not saying that uh, there's not right and wrong or there's not truth in error. I'm talking about a situation where it is, most things are typically percentages in a spectrum, and that it's not all or nothing, where all the truth is on the no. side of this denomination no. or this political party. And I mean, that's just not true in any case. I mean, forget politics or religion. That's not even true at a family get-together or whatever, anything where someone says something and someone gets offended and there's a big old brouhaha. Well... You know, when you, if you had a mediator come in and you had their conversation, all of the whole thing, the whole day recorded and videoed from every angle so that everything was seen and heard and recorded, and you had a mediator come in and they went down through the list of, okay, here's what happened and here's actually what was said and here's what was said, you would see the difference between someone saying to someone, how do I say this, like, People will come away and when they get offended, they'll say things like, well, you said this. No, I didn't say that. You extrapolated what you're saying I said from what I actually said. And some of that, like in psychology, is a projection. You already have fears or insecurities around something. And then when I said what I did say, I got too close to tapping those fears and insecurities. And then you projected that I said this when that's not what I said. And so if you could go into even with families and say, no, is that what I said? No. Okay. 
Let's just deal with the objective truth. And if you have any questions about what was actually said or meant or my intention, we can have a new conversation about when I said this, what was in my mind and heart. But if we actually go off of the objective actions and the objective words, did Uncle Tom really throw a skillet and hit Cousin Jenny in the side of the head? Yes, he did. Okay. If we can just learn to deal with objective fact and realize, yes, there's a lot more nuance of people's intentions of what they meant. There's a lot more like an iceberg under the surface. But for just right now, let's put all that what we can't quantify, what can't be recorded and seen with a video or by being voice recorded. Let's put that off to the side and let's just deal factually with what was actually said and done. I think if people could learn to do this in their life, instead of projecting onto other people, what, well, she meant and he said, and, and how could you say that? And I thought you loved me or I thought you hated that or whatever, and just quit blowing everything up into some big blown up mess and just deal with what is factual, we could start to teach ourselves the difference between what is objective and what is subjective and so much of our daily drama could be melted down into nothing or, or very much smaller if we learned to practice recognizing the difference between objective and subjective. Yes, and a lot of this is uh, unconscious on the part of people, but it doesn't mean that it's not guileless. Mm -hmm. And if you have to distort and mischaracterize yep. the position of another person or another group, in order to make, in order to win a debate or to make, or try better. to make your position, mm -hmm. then that's, that's disingenuous, that's dishonest, yep. that is lacking integrity. And the representation that you are holding up, your, your drawing, your painting. Your witness. Yeah, it is. It is a false witness. When you hold up your drawing and say, this is the truth of what happened, and you have completely embellished and made everything way different proportion than what it actually is. And gone all in. Then uh, that's that's not good. And and you're not going to be able to control this genie. You're not going to be no. able to, It's not just that you can pull this thing out and use it when you want. No. It's going to Devour cause you. your mm -hmm. mind and your eyes to be distorted. Yep. And you will... You can't be a deceiver without being deceived. No, it's the tree. It's the fruit you're eating off of. And see, if I think if people understood this, even from a selfish perspective, if you want to see truth accurately, if you really want to see and discern what is really going on, because that is a true power, to see the truth as it is or as close to as it is as possible, that is a spiritual power. It's called discernment. And if you want to walk in it, you have to practice it. You do. And it's like the Bramel, you know, there's there's a parable in Judges that talks about, we've probably talked about it before, when the trees go out on a day to anoint a king over them, they ask the olive tree, the fig tree, and the vine, and they're all too busy with their duties, but then they ask the Bramble, which is basically a thorn bush, to be a tree over them, to be king. And the thorn bush says, sure, and it makes a really strange deal. It's a really strange deal. Basically, it says, I'll do this, but you have to understand that fire is going to come out of the bramble, out of myself, and consume you. And if you can be okay with that, then I'll be your king, and they make this agreement. And you think, what tree in its right mind, in the story, a fable, whatever, what tree in its right mind would agree that at any point the bramble could just send a fire out to consume the tree, and the need for a king over him, even a thorn bush over a majestic tree, is 
enough of a draw for the tree that it would make that kind of agreement. But that's exactly what we do when we operate in ego energy or guile energy, or we don't try to see what the objective truth is with something. It's instant gratification. Go ahead and eat that forbidden fruit right now for the instant gratification that you're going to feel and not really looking at the long game. Well, never mind the 50 pounds it might pack on or never mind the fact that if you're a diabetic, it could send you into a, a diabetic coma. I mean, just I'm just using examples that people would understand. It's like, no, whatever effort you make to understand what the truth really is, the objective truth, and then to bring yourself into alignment, not to expect the truth to suddenly become what you say it is because you're mad or you're scared or you're lazy. You just don't want to do the work or whatever. You don't want this to be the truth. You want this to be the truth. And so you'll lie to yourself and lie to other people to justify yourself and where you're standing is right when it's not right. That's exactly like the tree who says, be king over me, Bramble, and fire will come out. I agree to have fire come out and consume me. Because to the degree that you befriend the truth is to the degree that the truth covers you. And to the degree you don't befriend the truth, it is to the degree the truth will devour you. It is totally up to you what effect the truth will have on you, whether you get in its light or you run from it and you try to misrepresent it for your own purposes. Thank you all for joining us today. Strangely, I should probably throw this in. This is not what we were going to talk about today. <laughs> we were going to do a totally different subject. A couple minutes before this <laughs> yeah, podcast, so we thought we're going to do okay, we're going to do this particular subject that's matter. Funny. Well, we did something totally yep. different, but that's okay. That's I hope hilarious. you guys enjoyed it, and I hope you got something out of it, and I hope it uh, <laughs> spurs some thought and that you maybe interpret, maybe you're able to interpret or begin to question your own motives and yep. what you're observing with other people and ask yourself, begin to discern the difference mm -hmm. between subjective and objective. Mm -hmm. So hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you again next time. Take care.